0: Hey, everybody. Jake McAfee. Welcome to the Fort Wayne Local Podcast. We've got our first in-person, in-studio interview Uh, today. I'm here with Jason Arp. Jason, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, I really appreciate this. This is actually the third time we've spoken. Um, You've always been incredibly generous with your time and also uh, very consistent and you know, articulating your message very well. So I'm going to quickly recap a little bit about who you are and then we'll kind of jump into your platform and what citizens can expect as you run for mayor. So uh, you were elected in 2015 to the city council representing the fourth district, that's South and Southwest, including a Aboit, Times Corners, Wayndale. Uh, you grew up in North Carolina, worked for Bank of America in Charlotte, and then as an investment baker in Chicago, working primarily with derivatives and mortgage-backed securities. Uh, married with two children. Your wife is from this area originally, correct? And then, um, so you are on the Republican ticket and you have uh, more libertarian views. So that's something I definitely want to get into. Um, so for people who don't know, can you kind of give us like a quick summary of your platform or what you're looking to bring to the table? Yeah, I'm, I'm
1: hoping that we can put forward a, a Fort Wayne that empowers Fort Wayne families uh, where people can make their own decisions um, on what they want Fort Wayne to look like as opposed to uh, bureaucrats or, or um, you know, there's certain groups that there's like cliques within the town that seem to get to decide where everything goes. And I'd rather empower individual households to be able to make those decisions for themselves, individual businesses to be able to make those decisions for themselves as opposed to waiting for some collective to decide, Hey, we're all going to march this way. Um, You know, I, I, as you mentioned, I'm pretty libertarian, and I, I think it's important for families to be able to decide, hey, where do we want to save and invest? And what do we want our community to look like? You know, some, for some people, that might be chickens in their backyard. For other people, it might be, um, you know, more expanded gardens or something like that, or maybe even a community garden, you know. Um, and, and they can work within their neighborhoods to decide how that's going to look. But currently, uh, we've got ordinances on the books that prohibits a lot of that sort of thing, um, and we, we've we seen multiple tax increases even on the time I've been there, um, that have taken families' monies, you know, monies that they would have spent on things for themselves or their or their investments, and it's been put into other people's dreams. And I, I would like to stop that. Um I'll let you know, if people want to voluntarily um invest in something, hey, knock yourself out, that's great. Um, but to be able to use the power of taxation to take away families savings to be able to, you know, put it into someone else's building or whatever, that's it's a, kind of an anti-American idea. Yeah, that's kind of the way we've we've kind of gone as a country, I think, is, is people are, have um, allowed politicians and bureaucrats to put themselves in positions where they're the, the deciders. And um, a lot of times families are put in a position where, well, we just got to kind of take what they give us.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, I love that. I, I will say for anyone who hasn't listened to our first two interviews, uh, please go and do that. I'll, I'll link those when I post this. But, you know, as a person who is – very supportive of a lot of the downtown development. You definitely gave a lot of good counterpoints and got me thinking in a way that, you know, I'd never really even thought about. I was just looking at what you know, kind of like mm-hmm. you said, it was happening, it was exciting, and then you brought some good counterpoints about people who, you know, maybe have no interest in this, and maybe there's more of those people than you might think. And you're saying they need to have a voice and some options as well. Right. Yeah. And, and just being able to decide where they put their own money, you know. Sure. Okay. And then, so what would be your top priority as mayor? If you had to summarize like one key thing that you're going to hang your hat on moving forward, what would be the top priority? Well, as you mentioned before, we've touched on economic
1: development before in the past. I, I would... Um, try to create an environment that attracts capital um, as opposed to specific projects, just generally creating an environment that attracts capital uh, to improve job creation opportunities, broadly speaking, as opposed to, um, you know, working a deal with this group or that group. Uh, So that's one thing that we can do very easily by eliminating business personal property tax. I think we've talked about this before. Um, This is a tax that they got rid of years ago in Ohio and Michigan and even longer ago in Illinois, believe it or not. Um, So we're like one of the few states that still has that. And the state has given the counties the option to do away with that tax, basically exempt it for all new investments. Um, And I tried to pull that lever a couple of times on city council over the years. Unfortunately, I didn't have enough uh, support from my colleagues to join me in doing that. But that would level the playing field instead of businesses having to come to council and grovel and ask for a tax abatement. We just wouldn't have that tax. So, if you wanted to put in your equipment to manufacture something, you could do that without taxes. Um, that's one, you know, it's a real simple example. But there, were, there's multiple things that we can do like that to encourage uh, business development here. Um, Fort Wayne, if you're not going through specific clicks, it's very difficult to um, build stuff here. I've, I've had multiple businesses. I have friends in Indianapolis um, that have tried to expand their business into Fort Wayne. They, they may have a Distribution center in Columbia City, and they say, you know what, it would just make a lot more sense for us to be in Fort Wayne. They buy a a, you know pole barn style building. They want to renovate it, put in a nicer bathroom for their employees, and it's just a nightmare trying to get permits, trying to just make the smallest changes. Excuse me, if you're not using the preferred vendors, Um, and so I would like to. To make it an even playing field make it easier for people to do this sort of thing so if people want to invest here and make it a nicer place for their employees they can without um you know having to um, be a part of a clique.
0: and so how would that work if you can elaborate a little bit on so if you're giving up the tax revenue i'm assuming you've run some sort of projections on you how you'd make it up by stimulating the growth like i'm assuming you track more businesses mm-hmm. and therefore you'd make up the tax revenue that way is that
1: yeah. So I published a, a white paper on this in the Indiana Policy Review in 2017, where we took a look at what it is that we collect from business personal property tax now um, countywide, because this is a, even though the city gets to make the decision, it affects everybody in Allen County. That's just the way the state law is written. And we looked at it. And so if you eliminate that tax, you, you're doing two things. One, you no longer have to abate it. So almost half of the revenue that we receive from it is abated anyway. So you're just not having to do that tax abatement. So we're not even actually collecting, you know, so so there's that. You don't have to do that part of it. And then on the other hand, um, we do a lot of real estate tax abatement. So like um, you may have seen recently, there's been several spec buildings mm-hmm. that, that um, developers have done, and the city will give a, uh, a tax abatement for that. Well, instead of doing tax abatements for real estate projects like that, which favor new buildings versus Existing building and you're in real estate. Mm -hmm. You know there's lots of uh, vacant industrial space that probably could be renovated or made use in some other way. That's we're we're encouraging abandoning those buildings to build nice shiny buildings near the interstate and using. And that's great. I mean, there's obviously there's a market demand for that sort of thing, but it doesn't require taxpayer money to do it. We Mm -hmm. give away a lot of uh, tax incentives for stuff like that. Um, Another example of that is Amazon. You know, the city purchases. This land does a lot of development there. Um, and then when Amazon uh, purchases the property from the prior owner to which the city had given it to, um, we end up giving them a I want to say 13 million. I'm just I but that mm-hmm. sounds like the right number. I'm not sure. Maybe 14, maybe 12, but somewhere in that range, mm-hmm. tax abatement. Um, for that, to put that in perspective, the entirety of the business personal property tax we were talking about earlier, it was um million in 2017. I don't know what that number is today, but, uh, 12 or $13 million on one project. That's a big chunk of that Mm -hmm. that we just gave away. No one asked any questions, you know, so does Amazon, a trillion dollar company need our $14 million? They're going to put it there anyway. They've already got several places here as part of their strategic model. Um, it only benefits the real estate broker that put the deal together, you know, because, uh, they're able to put that into the profit and selling it and, and building it into the long-term lease with Amazon, so it doesn't benefit Amazon necessarily. It doesn't benefit the citizens of Fort Wayne. It
0: it benefits the people in the know that worked out the deal with IEDC in the first place. Mm-hmm. And you said they were coming anyways, because yeah. I guess playing devil's advocate is like, well, if if that if that attracts businesses, then that would seem like a good thing. But you're saying these businesses were coming anyways. And yeah, it's kind of like to relate it to my industry. You talked about real estate. Is I'm against when I list a house. I'm against giving a credit for like carpet or anything like that. Cause I tell my clients I'm like, you are gonna take it and then they're gonna negotiate the way they would have anyway. So you're right. saying the same thing where these these businesses are coming. If it's a good business, it's a good business with or without a right. tax break and we're just giving away money that is unnecessary.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially when you look at we can do away with a tax on equipment that'll actually bring productive capital here and make people make people's hours worth more if you if you follow, mm-hmm. you know, the more you put into industrial equipment. You're making their people's time more valuable. You're making them more efficient, uh, being able to upgrade equipment. So, you get like a lot of machinery that, that may, you know, um, maybe 15, 20 years old, but because it's depreciated, they're not paying as much tax on it. Maybe they don't want to make the investment. But if you were to eliminate the tax, then they can bring that in, mm-hmm. make people's time worth more, they get paid more. Um, so, that's that's part of that idea. Um, but as far as like that general idea, that's not just me hypothesizing on it. Uh, there was an economist at uh, George Mason University um, that looked at this back in 2015, and I think they updated it in 2019 um, nationwide. They looked at a, a variety of these types of uh, real estate um, incentives, tax incentives, and they saw that 90% of the time it made zero difference whether or not. They gave it or not. And there was usually, you know, a group of people that were in that business that it benefited. So here, there's, there's a whole uh, cottage industry of people that uh, bring abatements to council. So you get attorneys and lots, you know, there's lots of paperwork that has to be filed. Mm-hmm. And that's a pretty lucrative business. Yeah. You know? So there's a lot of people that it's in their best interest that we keep doing it because, you know, this paperwork has to be filed somewhere, but it doesn't necessarily benefit the taxpayer.
0: Okay. That's, that's well said. Okay. And then, um, So what's an issue that you think is important that doesn't get a lot of attention? Maybe it's not the sexy thing to talk about, but it's something that's something you'd want to make happen or at least start bringing awareness to.
1: Yeah, so um, public safety has to be a number one job for um, any municipality, Fort Wayne included. Um, We've seen a a, a change in in the the city over the years. I think it's a, a nationwide trend. but. Lately, you're seeing an uptick in national statistics related to violent crime, and I think one of the things that we should be doing is looking at ways that we could improve community-based policing. I know that's a term that gets thrown around a lot, but um, unfortunately, I think what we've seen has been uh, a lot of investment in technology and those types of things, as opposed to, uh, at the end of the day, sometimes it just takes more, you know, people. Yeah. And um, one of the things that I would like to do to be able to maybe facilitate that is a little less investment in drones and, 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 you know, SWAT team equipment and that sort of stuff, but instead um, maybe go to two man, police cars. So that way, each time we hire a new patrolman, we don't have to invest in a whole new, another car. Um, it also helps with uh, officer morale. Um, if you're first on the scene and you're by yourself, you're most likely going to want to wait for backup. If you got somebody there in the car with you, it's going to help and give you a little bit more, um, maybe encourage you to to move forward um, and and also do that in a more calm way. Mm -hmm. If you're having to respond to something by yourself, you might be a little bit nervous and Mm -hmm. uh, may not be as easy to deescalate than if you had someone there with you at that time. And I've talked to multiple officers that had been on the force, you know, 25 years ago. And that's the way it used to be. They used to have two main police cars, And then that way, if they saw something they thought was, hey, that's a little curious. Let's check it out. You're more likely to do that if you've already got somebody there with you. But if you had to call it in for backup and it's may or may not be something, you may just, you know,
0: keep driving along. Just to not be wasteful yeah. or, you know, go through all yeah. that, don't jump it, through the hoops. If you can just check it out right there in the spot, then. Right. Okay.
1: And, and, and so, um. You know, I'm not a police officer. I've never, you know, I've gone on ride along, but you know, if I've never done actual police work. This this idea comes from hours of talking to people that are on the department and some some of the stuff that they see on a day and day out basis. And um, you know, it's it's not a a real sexy thing, and mm-hmm. we're getting into a lot of minutia and weeds with with it. But I I think it is worth the focus on making sure we're doing policing right.
0: No, that was a good answer. I mean, it it is something that I've don't know if I've ever even heard anyone talk about. And if I'm hearing you correctly, it's not because Fort Wayne's so dangerous, you're saying like, let's keep it as one of the safest places to be and try to stay ahead of the curve and not wait till we have a big problem. Absolutely, and that's what I tell
1: people about Fort Wayne. You know, we have a a safe, affordable place to live. Um, You had mentioned earlier, you you were in Florida. I was Mm -hmm. living in North Carolina before I I moved back, uh, moved here, Um, you know, where we were, it was a lot more expensive and it was not nearly as safe a place for my kids those are the things that brought me to fort wayne you know it's it's a beautiful place there's lots of amenities we got great parks here it's a wonderful city um and it's affordable but we also feel safe and if we allow ourselves to get distracted by you know um you know the, the long pass as opposed to blocking and tackling and doing the basics that need to be done to keep a city safe and affordable then um you know I look at places that have done that in the past. You know, they they used to call Detroit the, uh, what was it, the Paris of the Midwest because they had invested a lot of money in in fancy buildings and stuff like that, and then they went through an economic downturn, and it's just been in a slide ever since. I think recently it's starting to, to improve a little bit, but they hit a real bottom back in 2009, 2010, and we don't want to see Fort Wayne get into a position where we're constantly seeing crime uptick people moving out of the city, moving into the suburbs. And we've seen a lot of that, you know, in your business, when you're showing people homes, they're probably saying, hey, I'd like to see a home that's in either Southwest Allen County schools or I Mm -hmm. want to see a school or a house that's in Northwest Allen County schools or Mm -hmm. or, or in Leo or something like that. Um, And part of that, I think that's parents' natural reaction is they want to keep their kids safe. And we've seen a lot of the building, if you look at a heat map, and I've seen this heat map of where all the housing permits have been issued in Allen County over the last 10 years. Almost all of them are either in a Boyd Township or Perry, Cedar Creek, you know, the kind of mm-hmm. the, the North Rim yeah. or Southwest. We've I mean, seen in more recent years, we've seen some even as far as Lafayette because the boy's getting crowded. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not seeing that in the city and I think some of that is, you know, demographic changes. Some of it's where is the supply being built? I think there's some of those questions. But um, there's been such a focus on building uh, subsidized housing units or building apartment buildings and that sort of thing in the downtown core that we haven't really looked at. What do we need to do to revitalize aging neighborhoods? Um, you know, there are a lot of things in our our city ordinances and county codes that we need to work on to make it easier for people to put in uh new row house developments um when we lived in chicago we lived in a walk up in uh lincoln park and you know it was row houses but these are very expensive row houses mm-hmm. i mean i don't know if you've ever taken a look at like what the what those things go for in these oh, yeah. days.
0: yeah i had my buddy bought one and i was blown away yeah And these shared walls I'm like, yeah Man, it made me appreciative of what i have honestly yeah
1: um but you know there is a market for that sort of thing sure. there are people that want a more urban setting that would like to be in a place where, Hey, I come home from work. I I pull in the alleyway, park in the back. I walk down the street to the the local eatery, meet my wife there. Boom. Um, There's people that want that kind of lifestyle as opposed to having to, you know, drive to everything that they do. And right now uh, we do have a housing stock that has some of those amenities, but it's older and some of it probably needs to be replaced. There's areas that they, they could use some, some reinvestment and, um, but instead of doing those sort of things, it seems like we've been focused on building, you know, multi-tenant, massive buildings as opposed to allowing developers the freedom to be able to, you know, see if is, – is there a market for more urban, single-family, uh, connected housing?
0: Okay. And, what, and what's specifically holding that up? I mean, is there some type of regulation or something like that? Because I, I saw that. That was very common in Orlando where they would take down a whole block. And then do basically townhomes, real homes, type of thing, and they they were selling so fast because yeah. you know they are more affordable. You know, you they're buying the materials in bulk, so then you can build them for cheaper, and therefore sell them for mm-hmm. cheaper. And they were really really popular. So, is what specifically is preventing that? Um, some of it is we do have lot line restrictions. Um, so so a lot of the zoning
1: for single family homes have lot line restrictions that don't allow the structure to be so close to the line. You. So um, if we could look at maybe doing additional rezoning to urban core zonings, and st- this is going to take some thought sure. mapping it sure. out and it's going to take a cooperative effort. Yeah. I'm, You know, I'm no magician. I can't just wave a wand and make it happen, but it'd be something that we would get together and say, Hey, um, and bring in developers and say, what are the, what are the things that you would like to see in order to be able to do these kinds of developments? Because you're right. There are a lot of uh, economies of scale and, and, the sewers are already in the streets are already in there's a lot of you know benefits mm-hmm. to being able to do those types of things if you could do it in an economical way but the way the lot lines are and knowing what kind of housing people want today um, heck a lot of the houses that exist today um, if they're if they were to burn down they can't be rebuilt mm-hmm. because they wouldn't be in compliance with all of our ordinances mm-hmm. so th- that's one of the things that I think we could take a look at and say what ordinances can we ease? or eliminate or or change the zoning for uh, a little bit more uh,
0: dense. I got you. So, and then I feel like that kind of stays true to your message of, like, you're not spending any money aside from, like, somebody's, you know, time who's employed there. But that's not a tax abatement. That's not a big investment. You're saying we can spur growth just by simply changing some of the regulation on that.
1: Yeah. And I think if if you were to do something like that, you could probably partner with chains, like, um, I don't know if I should mention company names or not, but, like, you know, like a um, a small international, you know, small footprint international grocery store chain that mm-hmm. we see popping up all over the, the, you know, we have one on Illinois Road. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they have lots of places in Chicago where they, you know, they'll they'll take a corner in a neighborhood like that where you have row houses all the way up to, then you have like a, a little grocery there at the corner. Mm-hmm. Maybe on the other corner, you have a restaurant, you know, or, or some sort of entertainment type thing. Um there's a lot of people that want that kind of lifestyle. Um, they, they move to big cities to get it. Um, may, there are maybe people willing to invest in that here. Okay, um, I'm not sure that I would put taxpayer money in it. It's a, it's a gamble. I don't think it's right for the, the taxpayer to be um, supporting bureaucrats playing monopoly.
0: Sure, but you're still saying you can facilitate it without spending money if if the demand is there. You can make it easier right. to happen. OK. So I do want to transition a little bit um, you know, we've talked extensively about um, a lot of the downtown developments. We've talked about Electric Works. We've talked about, I think, most recently, we talked about the Pepsi Building. Um, and I think, kind of, what you said at the start. You know, you are not a fan of the government picking winners and losers. You're not a fan of taking taxpayer money from people who may live way out northeast and have no intention of going downtown and basically forcing them to invest um and we've gone back and forth on some of those counterpoints i don't want to really rehash all that i'd encourage anybody who's listening to go back and listen to those um because you articulated your point very well however now that we're here you know electric works is underway uh union street I've been down there it was it was great i loved it um if you were elected mayor how what would be your plans i mean with all these projects that are basically already happening how would you see yourself whether it's electric works or, you know, riverfront phases two and three, which aren't built out yet, what would be your goals or what type of influence would you have with those projects? To the extent that we already have contracts in which the city is on
1: the hook for doing things, we have a legal obligation to complete those contracts. I can't stop funding something that we already contractually said that we're going to fund. Uh, we would be sued. We'd lose that case. We'd end up paying for it anyway, probably more. So there, there's no point in, in trying to stop what's already been done. Um, what I could say is that, you know, instead of doing more of that in those areas, there's things that we can do that would be just for everybody um, that could supplement those without um, favoring one developer or another developer. Um, for instance, there's plenty of brownfield remediation money available from the federal government in which we could take the east side of the uh, works area, uh, remove that building, remediate the ground, and put in a nice park. Uh, Having lived in Chicago for three years, the only reason that Chicago is a livable city is because they do have beautiful parks. We lived in Lincoln Park. We could walk to the park. It was a place to get away from, um, you know, all the hustle and bustle of the the urban core. Um, In that area, that's a a nice large area in which you could put in some very nice parks, flowers, maybe a a soccer field or something like that of that sort um, to encourage, you know, families moving in the area, they could live in dense housing and still have a nice green place for the kids to go and play. Um, we could do those types of things um, without having to incur additional projects like this. We could still, you know, continue to to uh, make those areas better, but make them better for everyone and not just, you know, one or two developers. Okay.
0: All right. And then, uh, so what's something else? I mean, we've, t- we've talked about, um, you know, the police issue, we've talked about, um, you know, trying to stimulate growth. We talked about the developments. Is there any other any other items on your platform, or any other any other goals that you'd have, Brent, coming into office?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that that I want to make this campaign about is giving people the sense of uh, empowerment and feeling that they can um, do things in their own community. So. Um, trying to, to reestablish and, and put together neighborhood associations where uh, neighbors know one another. If you look at um, some of the crime statistics, places where people know their neighbors are less likely to have a lot of crime in places that don't know their neighbors. So trying to put together um, ways to, to encourage that. The current administration has done some of that. I'd like to do more of that. Um, and, and maybe even using some of the uh, legacy funds or something like that to uh, help establish a neighborhood. Because a lot of these places, the, the bylaws and everything have, have gone away. And I know that sounds kind of crazy from someone that may you know, maybe more of a libertarian. But I do think a sense of community is very important. And where you have uh, folks that are, are disconnected and people don't know who their neighbors are, you're a lot more likely to have things going on.
0: Um, you know, criminal activity that, that maybe you don't want to see. It seems very holistic. I mean, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're wanting two officers trolling, connecting with the neighborhood. You're wanting people to have, you know, walkable options and then them kind of making the decisions for themselves in their own that way someone on southeast side of town isn't you know, having to do something that someone out Northwest decided, right? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So I I don't know if you remember this, but back
1: in, I think it was 2017. I put forward a uh, ordinance change that would allow people to have chickens in their backyard. So Fort Wayne's one of the few cities where you're not allowed to have chickens in Indianapolis. You can have 12 chickens in Chicago. You can have chickens Valparaiso. I think it's five. Um, Even New York city, you can have chickens and, and some of the uh, boroughs, I think uh, Brooklyn and the Bronx both allow you to have chickens. Um, I had a lot of people reach out to me and say, hey, we would really like to be able to have a couple of chickens. And, and it's part of this, you know, um, feeling that they're living a sustainable lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, that they have a garden plot in their backyard and they'd like to have a protein source. Especially ex- now, I yeah. mean,
0: especially right now. I honestly, and sorry to interrupt you, I, um, that, that comes up all the time, actually, with clients with me. Like it was something in Florida I never dealt with. And here I have people. And it's actually kind of a problem because they have – there's a few sections in the city that you can, but it's pretty far out. But other than that, you're pretty much going out out of city limits. And it's it makes it more difficult for people who want that and don't want to live out in the country. Yeah. One of the complaints I had when I was doing that was,
1: was people saying, well, I, we don't want chickens in our neighborhood. And that's why I said we need to empower neighborhood associations so then that, that way they can – you and your neighbors could hash out, how can we make this work? As opposed to having your city government dictate one set of rules for everybody. Maybe in some neighborhoods, they would, hey, we'd love to have a community garden plot and some chickens and that sort of thing. Maybe in some neighborhoods, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure my neighbors would go for it if <laughs> I decided I wanted to put chickens in my backyard. But but getting the city out of the way, where that way, neighbors, you know, you've got in my neighborhood, we got 41 houses. Those 41 people can get those 41 families, I should say, could get together and decide, Hey, what kind of rules do we want to put on this sort of thing? Do we want to have them or not? And they can decide, um, as opposed to, you know, a, a, a group of, uh, you know, nine councilmen and a mayor and their staff saying for all quarter million residents of Fort Wayne, Hey, this is one set of rules. Um, this way, each neighborhood can decide what's best for them.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like what I mean, I think, regardless of what side or on the aisle you're on, I think we can all agree that we don't like someone in Washington making decisions for us, you know, because they're so disconnected. They're not living our lifestyle. And I feel like that's just like kind of drilling down on that same topic of like, you know, you don't want to be making decisions for other people. You want to let them, you want to empower them to do it. Right. So um, someone that lives at, say, the, the, the corner of uh,
1: Pontiac and, and Calhoun. Has different expectations for what their neighborhood looks like, um, what what kind of things they'd like to be able to do in their neighborhood. Than say somebody, you know, out where I live at Amber and Liberty Mills, that, that people have different ideas of, of what they want their community to be like, and they ought to be able to decide, even at that hyper local level, you know, um, how do we want things to look like, and. Uh, The city ought to be helping encourage those types of things as opposed to, you know, saying, hey, we're going to have this lot lines have to be this big. uh, Square footage of a house has to be this big. You know, there's a lot of stuff that that we kind of set rules that may not work for everybody.
0: I love it. All right. Well, just kind of wrapping up. um, How can people learn more about you? How can they support your campaign? Where can they connect with you? Um, You can go to ARP4,
1: the number four, numeral four, for mayor dot com and there's jasonarp.com as well. Um, I do have a Facebook page. Facebook has been really funny. So once you get the blue check on there, so like for my city council page, um, you know, there's a whole process. You got to send in IDs and copy of your, your city certificate saying you're actually a city councilman and all that kind of stuff. But once you've done that, converting that to a candidate for mayor was almost impossible. So I ended up having to make a new ARP for mayor Facebook page. It's up. Um, there's only, I don't know, there's less than 200 uh, people on it now, which is, you know, it's kind of funny cause I had, you know, well over a thousand for my, my district city council, one, yeah. but, but trying to transfer those over has been kind of a nightmare. So if people want to go look there, I'll have, uh, updates, but, um, uh, yeah. So it, at arp4mayor.com, um, there's a subscribe there. If you'd like to get emails, kind of get updates on the campaign. Um, and at jasonarp.com, I've had that for a long time and that's, I keep a repository of a lot of the articles and essays that I've written over the years. There's over 35 articles, I believe, that are on there at jasonarp.com slash blog.
0: Um, so if people want to read, you know. I read a few of them before. They were yeah. good. There's some good There's some good points in there. It got so, me to thinking. They're, some of them are kind of verbose. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I appreciate it. I mean, Jason, this is our third talk, like we said, and every time what stands out to me is how much you care about the city um, to the point where you're willing to have some maybe unpopular opinions, but it's in the best interest of people. So um, I really appreciate that. If you guys want to learn more, please connect with Jason, support his campaign, and uh, be on the lookout for more content from him.
1: Great. Thanks, Jake.
0: Yeah.